Coming up next, please join us for Real Israel Talk Radio. This is episode 142. Avi bin Mordechai here. Shalom. You're tuned in to Real Israel Talk Radio. This podcast is my summary of the biblical history concerning the priestly line of the House of the Sons of Tzadok. Over the past five episodes, I have looked at the general backstory about the Zadokites and how they were later replaced by a new political and religious system established by the family dynasty of the Hashmonaim or the Hasmoneans. With my previous episode number 141 and part 27, I looked deeper into the one mentioned in Genesis 14.18 as Melchizedek, known to Avram or Avraham as my King Tzedok, also translated King of Righteousness. In that episode, we learned about the house of the sons of Tzedok, who were also teachers and judges of all Israel for a very long time. We learn this from Ezekiel 44, 23-24. And they, referring to B'nai HaTzadok, that is the sons of Tzadok, they shall teach my people between the holy and the unholy and cause them to understand between the unclean and the clean. In controversy, they shall stand as judges, and judge according to my judgments, and they shall keep my laws and my statutes in all my modim. Modim is the Hebrew word for Yehovah's appointed festivals or appointed times. And they shall set apart my Sabbaths, that is, the Sabbaths of the Moedim, if I understand it correctly. This is part 28 in my summary analysis about the house of Tzedok. The so-called fathers among the Pharisees hugely influenced Judean politics and religion for generations, even beyond the days of Yeshua, ending with the destruction of the Second Temple. This is nothing new in light of what Yeshua actually said about them. Take a look at Matthew 11, verse 12. From the days of Yochanan the Immerser, or the Baptist, until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force or more correctly, according to the Hebrew grammar, and the violent take him by force. Beginning around 150 years before Yeshua, the Pharisee was called a chassid, chet samech dalad. Oftentimes it is translated into English as mercy or loving kindness, but the actual root refers to one who is loyal or a loyalist. These days, the term Hasidim has changed a little. Today, the term belongs to the Hasidic movement of the Jewish people, founded by Rabbi Israel Balshem Tov 
in the early 1700s of Eastern Europe. The Balsham Tov, who grew up in what is today called Ukraine, spoke of God's love for every Jew and teaching that every Jew, scholar, and simpleton alike could connect with God through learning Torah and doing mitzvot, which is good deeds, and doing it all with love, joy, and a simple humility. Back in Yeshua's time frame, the concept of a chassid was a bit different. Yeshua identified them as violent, I think primarily because violence was extensive between competing religious groups, understood from documents such as 4QMMT, which is short for Miksat Maaseha Torah, which means some of the works of the law, which I think is exactly where Paul was getting his ideas concerning works of the law. As in the days of Yeshua, so even in our own time, I've heard some being labeled as Torah terrorists. Candidly, nothing much has changed since the first century. There was yet another declaration that Yeshua made concerning the Hasid or the Pharisee. We can learn about this from Matthew 23, 31. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. As I understand the matter, the prophets included the Qumran sons of the house of Tzedok, or if you will, the Qumran priestly Zadokites. Particularly in the first century of this common era, that we refer to it as CE, there were some major halachic disputes happening between the Hasidim, or the Pharisees, and the believers in Yeshua, and those following in the footsteps of his messianic identity. I think this is at the core declaration made by Peter concerning the non-Judeans, or the Goyim, which is often translated to English as Gentiles. Take a look at Acts 15.10. Now, therefore, says Kepha, or Peter, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Okay, so now let's go on and speak about the party of the Sadducees, as compared to the Pharisees or the Hasidim. The Sadducees, or the Tzedakim in Hebrew, relates to the term Tzedok. And the Tzedakim that we are referring to has a different history, presenting us with two questions that need answers. Number one, were they, the Sadducees, one and the same with the priestly Tzedakim or Zadokites of the Qumran? The answer, I think, is no. Number two, from where then did the Sadducees or the Tzedokim derive their name? The answer, it depends on who you might ask. 
In general, it appears from surviving documents of the time that they took their name from a man called Sadok, an early disciple of one Antigonus of Soho in Judea. And when I was doing the work of a tour guide in Israel, I took people over to the archaeological mound that is called Soho in Judea. But at the time, I had no idea about any of this that I'm talking about here. It's just an archaeological mound in the area of the Elah Valley in the southwest area of Judea. Now, the man Sadok, who was an early disciple of Antigonus of Soho, he produced a faction of disciples who called themselves Sadokim. Besides Sadok, Antigonus of Soho had another disciple with the name Botus. He, too, produced his own group of disciples, later referred to as the Botusians. According to available history, a downline son of Botus was appointed by King Herod as a high priest, and they came to be called Herodians. Take a look at Matthew 22:15-16. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him, referring to Yeshua, in all of his talk. And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians. Again, in Matthew 12:13, And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to catch him in his words. And then there's this from Mark 3, 6. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him, referring to Yeshua. Responding to the various political and religious parties of the time, Yeshua then goes on to warn his disciples, which we learn from Matityahu or Matthew 16, 11 through 12. Yeshua said, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that is, the Hasidim and the Tzedokim. Then they understood that he did not say to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees or Hasidim and the Sadducees or the Tzedokim. And then there is this from Mark 8.15. Yeshua said, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, that is the Hasidim, and the leaven of Herod. Now, to make things clear, there is no recognized connection that any scholar is aware of linking the legitimate priestly Tzedokim or Zadokites of the house of Tzedok at Qumran, along with their allies, to that of the Jerusalem Tzedokim or Sadducees and their allies, including the Hasidic Pharisees, the Herodians, and the Bothusians. So, in other words, there appears to be a very clear distinction between the Sadducees of Jerusalem, 
and the true Tzedokim or Zadokites of the Qumran. They're two entirely different groups of priests. The ones from Qumran were considered legitimate by Yehovah, and the ones from Jerusalem were considered illegitimate by Yehovah. So all of these, the Jerusalem Tzedokim or Sadducees, including the Hasidic Pharisees, the Herodians, the Bothusians, people like that, these were religious factions that I think Shaul or Paul warned his disciples about in Galatians 4, 25 through 26, when he said, For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her sons. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. Recall early on, Paul started his religious life as a follower of the Hasidic Pharisees belonging to the Judeans. He said in Acts 26, 4 through 5, My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They knew me from the first, if they are willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. Then in Acts 22, 3-5, Paul says, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, referring to the oral Torah. And I was zealous toward God as you all are today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, and also the high priest bears me witness, and all the council of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus, or Damascus, to bring in chains, even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Why would they be brought to Jerusalem to be punished? Because religion in the time of Paul was under the Sadducean priesthood of Jerusalem. They were essentially the supreme court of the land. And if you were violating the religious laws of the land as legislated and enforced by the Sanhedrin and the Tzedokim of Jerusalem, then you were in violation of national religious law and you deserved punishment, even to the death. That's how they understood things. It was the supreme court of the land. So, on the road to Damascus, something huge happened to Paul. We learn about this in Acts 9, 3 through 8. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. 
Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Shaul, Shaul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Adonai? Or who are you, Master? Then Adonai, the Master, said, I am Yeshua, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, he said, Adonai, or Master, what do you want me to do? Then the master said to him, Arise, get up, and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Shaul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. Now, it is commonly understood that the Qumran was called by another name, that is, Damascus, not the city of Damascus in the land or the country of Syria. This is Damascus of Qumran. This was a relatively short journey down from the higher hills of Jerusalem. There, at Damascus of Qumran, the priests of the house of Tzadok lived with their disciples, followers, and allies. This is where we learn that Paul was brought to a priest of Tzadok by the name of Hananiah or Ananias. We learn about this in the book of Acts, chapter 9, verses 10 through 19. And to him Adonai said in a vision, Hananiah. And he said, Hineni Adonai, here I am. So Adonai said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, which comes right out of the book of Isaiah. And he tells him to inquire at the house of Yehuda for one who was called Shaul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Hananiah coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Hananiah answered, Adonai, I have heard from many about this man and how much harm he has done to your holy ones in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests, those are the illegitimate chief priests of the Jerusalem Sadokim, to bind all who call on your name. But Adonai the master said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Goyim, kings, and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Hananiah went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Shaul, Adonai the master, Yeshua, who appeared to you on the road as you came, he has sent me that you may receive your sight 
and be filled with the Holy Spirit. This terminology about the Holy Spirit comes straight out of the Zadokite paradigm. It's all over their writings in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Whereas in Orthodox Rabbinic Judaism, you just don't hear much about this idea of the Holy Spirit and walking in the Holy Spirit. That's Zadokite terminology. So then in Acts 9, we learn, immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was immersed or baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened, and Shaul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Now, over many years, Shaul or Paul lived there at Damascus of Qumran and built up quite a reputation as a loyalist among the Qumran Zadokites. His life and his teachings reflect a huge change from once living as a Pharisee to now living as a Tzadok or a Zadokite, even though he was of the tribe of Benjamin. And Shaul's life and teachings attracted no shortage of political and religious enemies. In fact, it is my opinion that Shaul was written out of all of the future teachings that would be classified as Talmudic or Rabbinic. I think he just got written out because he was such a renegade, especially bringing such dishonor to his teacher Gamliel in Jerusalem. But that's my opinion. So now let's go on to the book of Acts in chapter 24, verse 5 and 24, 14 through 15. So here we're going to learn that Paul was brought into the court for an inquisition. Here is Acts 24, verse 5. Paul's accusers, they say, for we have found this man to be a plague, a creator of dissension among all the Judeans throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarim, or the Nazarenes. Later on, Paul is given his opportunity to respond, and in Acts 24, 14-15, Shaul says, quote, But this I confess to you, that according to the way, which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of Tzadok and non-Sadok. That is very interesting, because to me, that implies that those of the house of Sadok coming down out of the line of Aaron, they believed in the coming of the Son of Man, the Son of God, that is Messiah Yeshua, or Melchizedek. They believed in that. But it also says, 
there will be a resurrection of the dead for non-Sadok, which I think implies you and I, because we don't come down out of the line of Aaron. We come down out of the line of Melchizedek, which is above Aaron. He is the one who gave the anointing to Aaron, the brother of Moses. Nevertheless, Shaul or Paul went on to write many letters to the first century churches or the Kehilot, using highly recognized terminology quite distinctively belonging to the house of Tzedok. So let's take a quick break and we'll come back and take a look at all of this information and see if we can put some things together. I'm Avi ben Mordechai, and you're listening to Real Israel Talk Radio. Welcome back to the second half of Real Israel Talk Radio. This is episode 142. Here is your host, Avi ben Mordechai. Welcome back to Real Israel Talk Radio. I'm Avi ben Mordechai. Let's continue where we left off before the break. I was talking about Shaul, or Paul, who went on to write a lot of letters to the first century Kehilot, or churches, but in his letters, he's using highly recognizable terminology distinctively belonging to the sons of the house of Tzedok, that is, the priestly class of Tzedokim at Qumran. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. For example, take a look at 2 Corinthians 6.15. And what accord has Messiah with Bliyaal or Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? I think very clearly identifying a believer as those among the Zadokites and supporters of the priestly traditions, compared with an unbeliever defined as one not accepting of the priestly Zadokite teachings. Let's go on to 1 Thessalonians 5, 5. You are all sons of light. That is a distinctive Zadokite term, sons of light and sons of the day. Very clearly, this is Zadokite terminology. This is not the kind of terminology that the Rabbanut, meaning the Hasidim or the Pharisees, it's not the kind of terminology that they used in everyday speech. So Shaul says to the Thessalonians, we are not of the night, nor of darkness which I think is a concealed or hidden reference to the Zadokite calendar of solar light as compared to the Pharisaic calendar of lunar light. Now, there were many others of the B'nai Tzedok, or the house of Tzedok, that were operating as supporters and allies to the priestly traditions. We're talking about people such as Stephen, who also spoke using so much of the jargon of the Zadokites. Take a look at Acts 7.51. 
Stephen says, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers, so you. Again, this idea of the Holy Spirit. This is Zadokite terminology, not rabbinic, Hasidic, Pharisaic terminology. Others like Stephen made similar references. Here is Yehuda or Jude, verse 14. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, Yehovah comes with ten thousands of his holy ones. And here is the book of Acts, chapter 3, verse 14. But you denied the Kadosh One, the Holy One, and Hatzadok, that is, the Righteous One, who would be Melchizedek or Melchizedek, and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Now, keep in mind something that I previously said, that whenever you see the word righteous or righteous one, the concept is from the Hebrew term tzaddik or tzaddok or tzaduk. When you see that term in your biblical readings, stop thinking about it as a word of morality or piety, as someone who is righteous because they are pious or they are morally upstanding human being. Yes, it's very nice to find people that are morally upright, but that is not what this concept of Sadok, Sadiq, Saduk is all about. I don't think so. I think it's not about morality. It's identifying a character of heaven whose name is Sadok. What I'm saying is that the word righteous or Sadok or Sadiq points us to the one who was called Melchizedek, as he is found in Genesis 14, verse 18. This is a person. And so the concept of righteousness, as you learn the term, is not about morality. It's about authority. Again, it's not about morality or piety. It's about authority. Who has the authority over all Israel? It's this one called Melchizedek or Melchizedek, my King Sadok, or you could also say, I am King Sadok. And so whenever Yeshua is spoken about, he is usually identified as a king, meaning King Messiah, King Yeshua. The idea is that of Yeshua as a king. But how often is it that Yeshua is identified as a priest, a Kohen? He is a priest and he is a Kohen, but he's not of the Levitical line. He's of the Tzadok line, the line belonging to Melchizedek or Melchizedek. So Yeshua is a king and a priest. Let's go on now to 
Hebrews 6, 19-20. This we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and who enters behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, Yeshua having become high priest forever according to the order or the course of Melchizedek. He is the one who is called the Tzadok or Zadok. He's the one above the line of Levi. This Melchizedek is the one that authorizes Moses to anoint his brother Aaron. It comes from Melchizedek or Melchizedek. So everything comes back to that originating position well above the family of Levi. And that's the family that we are part of through faith in Yeshua. And this, of course, points us back to Psalm 110 verses 1 through 4. This is the very thing that totally annoyed and irritated the illegitimate priests of the Sanhedrin when Yeshua was brought before them in an inquisition in Matthew chapter 26, when they asked him, are you the Messiah? Just tell us straight up. And he said, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right. And he was quoting from Daniel, which is a reference going back to Psalm 110, verses 1 through 4. Yehovah has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest or a Kohen forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. He's talking about his position as Melchizedek, the priest and the king of Shalem. Plainly, Yeshua himself was also well-versed in all the lingo of the Qumran house of Tzedok priests and prophets. For example, John 12, 36, Yeshua says, While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. Again, this idea, sons of light, is purely Tzedok terminology. You don't find this in rabbinic writings as they speak of their Pharisaic party as sons of light. They didn't. Matthew, Matityahu, 13.11. He answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Where is the kingdom of heaven? It is from Genesis 14.18. The kingdom of heaven is called Shalem. That's where we get the term Jerusalem, which is a compound of two words, Yir'eh and Shalem. From the Hebrew Yir'eh, he will see Shalem. That is Jerusalem. This is the city of heaven above. The kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of Shalem. And its king and priest is Melchizedek or Melchizedek. 
So we learn from Yeshua more of his Sadokim terminology from John 1.51. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open. That is, the kingdom of heaven open. And the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Again, we know that the Qumran community of the priests of Tzedok had a very strong teaching of angelology, talking about messengers and angels of heaven ascending and descending from heaven to earth and earth back to heaven. They talked a lot about this. So this is all distinctively Qumran Zadokite terminology. Then Luke 22.20, he, Yeshua, also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Again, this idea of the new covenant, this is clearly and distinctively Sadok terminology, what the Zadokites were teaching, a new covenant or renewed covenant. This is why Yeshua was calling the nation to teshuva or repentance, because they had gotten away from the covenant that was made to the nation. They were not loyalists to Yehovah. They were loyalists to their own earthly kingdom, a kingdom of logic and reason, which came later to be called Rabbinic Judaism. This house of Tzedok priestly terminology is deeply embedded all over the gospel records and in all of the letters of Yeshua's disciples, including Shaul or Paul. Once you see the many embedded Zadokite teaching themes, I'm telling you, it's difficult to deny them and unsee them. Here are some additional themes that I know you are familiar with if you have read any of the New Testament. Sons of Light, Belial versus Sons of Darkness, the elect or the chosen ones versus those who are not elect or not chosen, the teacher of righteousness or the teacher of justness or the just one, angels and angelic visitations, the new covenant or renewed covenant, the Holy Spirit and walking in the Spirit versus the reasoning and logic of the rabbis, the temple or the tabernacle of the human body, prophecy and spiritual gifts, also measurements of heaven, earth, and Elohim, citing length, depth, breadth, width, height. That's all Zadokite terminology of the throne room. The knowers of kingdom mysteries. That's Zadokite terminology. Justice versus injustice. Evil versus good. Good versus evil. The pit, Sheol, 
and the shadow of death. Also, the festival calendar of the Hasidim, or the Pharisees, and the temple priests of Jerusalem, that is the Tzedokim, they were following a solar lunar calendar, but it was based on the sighting of the moon versus the festival calendar of the priestly Tzedokim of Qumran, the Zadokites, who were teaching a solar calendar where the moon does play a role in it, but it's not an equal role with the sun. It has a different role, which we're not going to get into here. With all of this terminology that is distinctly Zadokite, should it be any wonder to us why the religious authorities were so adamantly in conflict with Yeshua and his disciples over issues of religious tradition. For example, Matthew 15.3, Yeshua says, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? And also again, Mark 7.9, You reject the commandment of God that you may safeguard or keep your tradition. It appears that Yeshua was comparing Pharisaic religious tradition with that of Zadokite priestly tradition, likely prompting Shaul or Paul to write to the Messianic congregation of Corinth and say to them what he said. They had come to be moderately pressured into submitting to the political and religious authority of Jerusalem and not to the Zadokite priestly traditions taught by the disciples of Yeshua along with many allies and supporters of the priestly Qumran Zadokite doctrines. So keep this in mind when you read 1 Corinthians 11, verse 2. Paul writes, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and safeguard the traditions just as I delivered them to you. What traditions is he referring to? Rabbinic, Hasidic, Pharisaic traditions? I don't think so. I think he's talking specifically about the priestly Zadokite traditions from the Qumran texts of what we now know to be the Dead Sea Scrolls. And again, 2 Thessalonians 2.15, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle or letter. What are the traditions being referred to here? I think it's the house of Tzedok priestly traditions, because those were the traditions that were considered legitimate, not only by Yeshua, but also by Yehovah. And many of these traditions, we know them as they are written about in so many of the documents that have emerged from the Dead Sea Scrolls. 
documents such as the Book of Enoch, the Book of Jubilees, the Scroll of Melchizedek, the Scroll of Gabriel or Gavriel, the Temple Scroll, the Scrolls of Community Rule, and many among the Damascus documents. These were the things Shaul had learned and the disciples learned and that Yeshua taught. And these were the traditions sent down to us through Yeshua and his disciples. But we have become estranged from those traditions, and instead we have embraced the Pharisaic Hasidic traditions, which includes the Hallel calendar. And we need to get back to the Tzedok traditions, because those are the ones that were considered legitimate again, by Yehovah and by Yeshua. The traditions of the Zadokites were established through Melchizedek or Melchizedek, Yehovah's legitimate high priest and king on his visitation from the city of heaven's Shalem, the seat of the divine government of the kingdom of heaven, Malkut HaShemayim. We know that the priesthood of Tzedek at Qumran served Yehovah because they accepted the authority of their high priest and king who was referred to in Genesis 14.18 as Melchizedek or Melchizedek, once again confirmed in the New Covenant book of Hebrews 6 verse 20. The forerunner has entered for us, Yeshua, having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, and Hebrews 7, 1 through 3. For this Melchizedek or Melchizedek, king of Shalem and priest to El Elyon, who met Avraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Avraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of Sadok, and then also king of Shalem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like Ben HaElohim, the Son of God. He remains a priest forever or continually. This was stuff that the later rabbis just did not like. It annoyed them. And so what did they do? They compromised the Masoretic texts. And in doing so, they fudged the chronological numbers of the Masoretic texts from Genesis chapters 5 to 10. And what did they do? They called Melchizedek Shem. Yes, Noah's son, Shem. They referred to him as Melchizedek or Melchizedek. But that's not what Scripture tells us. Melchizedek was not Shem. He was Sadok the king of the city of Shalem, which is the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. 
We learn this from Ezekiel 44, 23-24. And they, referring to Benehat Sadok, that is the sons of Sadok, they shall teach my people between the holy and the unholy, and cause them to understand between the unclean and the clean. In controversy they shall stand as judges, and judge according to my judgments, and they shall keep my laws and my statutes in all my modim. Moedim is the Hebrew word for Jehovah's appointed festivals or appointed times. And they shall set apart my Sabbaths, that is, the Sabbaths of the Moedim, if I understand it correctly. Now, this is where I have to end the program today. I've covered a lot of ground, and I want to come back on the next podcast and continue on where we're going to talk about Daniel 7.25 and tie it in with Romans and 1 John and Hebrews and many other passages of the New Covenant and show that it was known that no man among the Judeans had any right, political or religious, to seize control of the nation's laws and judgments and to change Jehovah's order of authority, because the one who does this kind of thing is called an antichrist or an anti-Messiah, just as Daniel 7.25 tells us. So we'll come back on the next podcast, and let's deal with some of these matters, okay? Thanks for joining me today. I'm Avi ben Mordechai, and you're listening to Real Israel Talk Radio.